Galatians 4, starting in verse 12, and I'm reading from the ESV. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out so that you can make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Let's pray. God, we praise you together this morning. Thank you for gathering us together today with each other uh, and to yourself. Lord, thank you for your word to us. I ask now that your spirit would be with Bobby, that you would bless the, the time he has spent studying and writing this past week. Would the words he gives us be only those which you would um, show to us who you are and build us up as your people. God, would you give us your spirit now also as we listen? Um, like Paul writes, would you form Christ in us this morning? God, would your people... Would Karsh Church uh, be made much of for a good purpose? And would we use that as a chance to make much of Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm not sure if we have the right slide presentation today. I don't know if uh, we got them mixed up. That was probably my fault, but... Um, it might be more important today than usual to actually open up uh, a physical Bible. Um, you know, somehow the church got by for 2,000 years without slides, so we can probably figure it out. So, uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 4, just in case we don't have slides up. Um, can somebody shout out what page that is on the Black House Bible? I missed that. 974. 974. So, if you're looking for it in the House Bible, 974. Um, I... I I have some words to say today that are particularly relevant to pastoral ministry, and uh, I don't think there are any of the five pastors here today, so uh, it's a free-for-all. You can do whatever I want to guess. Um, but, you know, if you know your Bible, you might know that all Christians are called ministers, or they're called into the ministry. Um, and if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, or a student, or a doctor, or a banker, you are a minister. The only thing in question is whether or not you are a healthy minister, or a faithful minister, or whether or not your ministry is filled with the Spirit. Now, some ministers have a particular calling for God, um, such as teachers, pastors, prophets, etc. But those ministers are given a particular job to help lead, to equip us, ministers, to encourage us, to help us figure out and find and use our particular gifts, to equip us to deal with the profound difficulties and sufferings of ministry. I say all this because in today's text, 
Uh, we're going to get an intimate peek into Paul's ministry to the church in Galatia. Uh, and, and I just want to use this opportunity, opportunity today just to describe a little bit what ministry looks like. Um, now, I do want to point out before I go on that it is a reality that those who do have a particular calling to be pastors, church planners, missionaries, um, do often experience heartbreak and sufferings in ministry in more intense ways and more felt ways than, um, than we do. And so I hope that as we look at this text today, um, maybe we can understand the hearts of our pastors, or all pastors better. Um, but we can also understand what to look for in good pastors, teachers, how to discern true pastors of God from false teachers and how to be a healthy church. So that's my aim today. Um, so to, to begin, what I want to do, though, is, like I have done so often, is start with context. Where are we at? What's, the, what's this book doing? What's it for? Um, you know, there's some, there's some context that Paul gives us here, some insight into a story, most of the details of which have been sort of lost to history. You know, I think it's easy to read the book of Galatians as some sort of theological treatise on the difference between gospel and law, or to read it maybe as a, a heavy rebuke to a kind of a new church that is still figuring their way around. Maybe it comes off of, as a little bit heavy-handed to you. Um, now, this letter is certainly a theological treatise. It certainly is a letter of rebuke. I think more than that, to understand Galatians, you need to understand this is a, a letter of love. It's sort of like a love letter from a father pleading with his son to flee addiction. So if you would join me, let's use our imaginations a little bit and try to go back and pretend, if you will, that you are a pagan, a non-Christian, non-Jew, first century person in Galatia. And maybe you've heard of some guy named Paul, probably not. You've certainly heard of Judaism. They do weird stuff. That's about all you know about it. Or maybe you have a little bit more insight. And then one day, this ill man shows up. He's weak. He's ill. He's speaking strange things. Maybe things that you've never heard. He's saying, there's this guy. I have to tell you about him. As they're, maybe they're having to, like, literally give him a place to, to lay down because he can't stand. Maybe they're having to minister him. And as they're ministering him, he's telling them about this guy named Yeshua. This guy who died and then he got up out of the grave and you're enthralled. You've never heard anything like this. And he starts telling you, hey, the way to, 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 way to God is through this man. And here's the crazy thing. You don't have to figure out how to do all of these things to fit in. You don't have to figure out how to become righteous on your own, which is probably what they were thinking, they were figuring out. He's saying, all you have to do is believe in him and God will accept you forever. And they heard this and, and it started changing lives in the city. Something amazing started happening. You see, the people in Galatia, they, they somehow had the wisdom to hear and know that God was speaking. So your heart starts to change. You, you, you fall in love with this Jesus. You believe. 
And you're listening to what Paul's saying. And for months he's there ministering. And all of a sudden a church grows. And this message is spreading in the city. And, and, and Jesus is being magnified. How amazing would it have been to be like, whoa, God is real. And he's come in the form of a man. And all of a sudden we have a church there. It's planted. The gospel starts spreading. All through the sick man who's probably too weak to stand. The city changes. Well, months go on as the church has been built and formed, and there are these really experienced expert spiritual thinkers who they were, they were called Judaizers, but there were those who were practicing Jews who were also sort of dabbling in this new popular Christian theology. And so they're like, hey, we have some really important things to add because you know we're, we're the, the actual professional teachers here of spiritual things. And so they start explaining, hey, what Paul said was, it was okay. But there's more to the story. This sounds exciting. This is some new information coming. There's all these really cool rituals. And it's not just that, you know, you have to believe in them. There's some things that you get to do to be a part of it. You get to, you, get to, uh, you know, you follow these eating rituals that will help make you pure. Some purification rituals. And they start adding all this. And eventually you start thinking, what was Paul was off with a little bit on some of this stuff. Like, I don't know about what everything he said. Um, this new stuff feels better. And, and these teachers, they make me feel so good. Like, I get to be a part of this salvation plan. I get to make God pleased with me. Maybe Paul was a bit amateur in his theology. And you, maybe you move on to more advanced more historic Jewish theology. So over the course of a couple of years, things start changing. And, and word gets to Paul as he's been traveling about sharing the gospel. And I imagine this broke down in tears. Absolutely melted him. He poured his heart and soul into you. He loved you. And, and the thing is, is you loved him back so much. Something special was going on. It, it, God was there. God was talking through Paul to you, and he was changing your life. And Paul gets these words. You see, Paul, somehow his joy had become bound up in their joy, in their health, in their growth. And so the days I imagine, again, I'm sort of like guessing on some of the details here, but Paul, after weeping for days, he picks up his pen. I can't let this happen. And with profound love, a love for the truth, a love for you, desire for your joy, he writes this letter. And it begins how, oh foolish Galatians. And don't hear those words as, you dumb fools. What he's saying is, oh no, my beloved foolish Galatians, who did this to you? Who did this to you? Who deceived you? And maybe you, as a member of the Galatian church, you read those words and your heart sinks. Now, History hasn't told us what happened when they received this letter. But I like to believe that God used it. That when they read it, their hearts sunk, their knees fell, and they bowed in repentance to God. I think part of the reason that that's true is they said, we've got to get this letter to other churches so they don't make the same stick we did. And they distributed the letters. They see what happened. We messed up here. And so now this letter has become instruction for us. 
This whole book is a love letter to say, turn away from this false gospel that you can make yourself right with God, that you can do something to make God love you more, or, on the other side, that you're too far gone from God. And so here's where we find Paul, sort of, as he spent some time reminding him of the theology, he turns back and he says, brothers, become as I am. It's the first, I believe, it's the first imperative given in this letter. This is where he sort of makes a, a switch. And he draws their mind back to this story that I just told you about. So with this context in mind, I just want to make a few observations from the text today about their story and hopefully see a couple things that we can learn from both Paul and from the church in Galatia about this ministry. So there's two main things I want to discuss. One is observe just what are the marks of an authentic, spirit-filled ministry? And then two, what is an unhealthy ministry marked by? So, authentic, spirit-filled ministry. What does this look like? Well, first, if we see in verse 14, if you would look, I think it's marked by a love for truth. Paul says that, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus, or as a angel, just means messenger, as a messenger of God, a divine messenger, as though Christ Jesus was speaking. That's how they received his words. They loved the truth from God. And this is what we see that Paul loves here as he teaches to them. He, he even says, he's like, if I become an enemy by speaking to you the truth, because there was a time when I was speaking the truth to you and you loved it. And so the question for us today is, do we love the truth? And you know, it's easy to think, well, of course I do, because everything I believe, I love. But you know, sometimes the truth, we don't like it. Sometimes the truth, it just, it's not how I would have kind of, if I, if I got to decide what was good, what was bad, what was right, what was wrong, there might be a few tweaks I would make. In fact, some things I read in the Bible, I just don't like. And the question is, do I love the truth enough to say, there's something with me that needs to change, not God? Do we love the truth? Because if we don't, that means that there is something wrong, that there is a disconnect Spiritually, between what God is speaking and what we're hearing, if the Spirit of God is among us, we will be marked by a love for truth, particularly the gospel. And that's what we saw in the early days of the church of Galatia. But second, a healthy ministry, and this won't be a surprise, is marked by a profound love for one another. This is what Paul, how he describes the way that they loved him. He says, I testify to you that, in verse 15, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. L listen, if, if you like have children, you have felt that exact same thing. You're like, I, I mean, whatever, I would literally, absolutely literally jump in front of a car to save your life. Not even a question, because the love is real. You know that. And that's the type of love that God has called us to. These Galatians, like we, they, they loved their pastor Paul. Loved him. They loved one another. He experienced God. 
his grace through them as they minister to him while he ministers to them. That's what the church is supposed to look like. As we minister to one another, we're loving one another. We're meeting each other's needs. How does this happen? This is what God does. God is love. He loves you. He loves all of his children. And when his spirit is here, if his spirit is inside you, he is making you love, each, love one another more and more. His love is growing inside your heart. And we see that so beautifully in an amazing way. Profound love. And let me just say, I've experienced this from a lot of you. Like real love. Been here for, I don't know, 15 years now. Countless times where people have ministered to me, have ministered to my family, have prayed for me, have given me gifts, have been patient with stupid things that I do and say. I've experienced that in my family. I hope some of you have experienced that for me because I really love a lot of you. And let me say, I, I, I've been, some of my closest friends that I've had for the last 10 to 15 years are, are the pastors of this church. And let me just say they love you. I've seen it. I've seen it in the way that they've given themselves that they, that they are in anguish over you. And I've seen the way that you've loved one another. So let me encourage you. If you don't love God's church, if you don't love the people around you, God's spirit is not in you. Third, we see that when the spirit is in a church, a healthy church will be marked by a love for the gospel. If you want to say, what is, what's, a, what's a really clear measure of, is this church healthy or is that church healthy? I would just say, what do they preach? What do they sing about? Do they mainly sing about how God is awesome? He is, and we should sing about that. But what has captivated them? Is it Christ Jesus nailed to a tree, raised from the dead, lived a perfect life so that we can walk absolutely free of the consequence of our sin? Absolutely free from judgment. If that is the center of, of a church's heart, if that is what makes their heart beat, I know God's doing something because that's what God is up to. He is magnifying the work of Jesus on the cross. He's magnifying in the hearts of true believers what He has done to win our salvation for us. What He has done to win eternal life for us. He's done everything. And so we are unashamedly going to make that the center, the reason, the, the aim of everything we do. Sure, we're going we're gonna to marvel at all sorts of things in Scripture. The, even the justice of God or the judgment of God. Even we will marvel at the good works that we do because of Him. But none of those things will be absolutely the aim of our ministry. The healthy ministry will aim to magnify Christ. Jesus. And so let me just real quickly say, how did this happen? Why did this health exist here in the first place? Or how can it happen today in any of our churches? There's an interesting little detail that Paul includes here that I don't think is just for accuracy's sake, but he's, he's preaching theology here. In verse 13, he says, it was just because of a bodily ailment that I preached to you. Here's what he's saying. I didn't even mean to come here. 
I did not have a plan for you guys. Paul, he, he figured out his missionary journey, where all he was going to go. He had, a, he had a good plan. He probably picked some bigger cities. And he didn't give a rip about the Galatians. He didn't probably, that wasn't his plan. But then God struck him with illness. So he had to stop somewhere. And there he was sick. It's through that that God used to bring about the eternal salvation of this church. Isn't that a beautiful reminder that salvation is by God? It's not ultimately our plans. It's not sermons we preach. It's not how good we are sharing the gospel. It's not raising support to get to another country. God is the one who saves, who saves the nations. God is the one who loved the Galatian church long before Paul was even alive. And it was through his suffering that he ministered to them. And this is hope for all of us who suffer. To say, God uses suffering. If, if a door gets shut in your face, if something, if an unexpected illness happens to you, I'm not saying that like some Pauline, like amazing church plan is going to happen. I'm just saying, maybe look up. Maybe God's up to something. He's always worked through suffering, and further than that, we can trust that God is. What we've always said here, what the Bible testifies to is that he's sovereign. Meaning, he rules the universe. Everything happens according to his ultimate will. And so let's be a people of hope in the midst of that. Let's look for God. Let's look for him in dark places. He tends to sneak around there sometimes. And so let me just ask before we move on. Do you see God's work here? I, I hope you do, because I think that I've seen it. I think I've seen it in the way that we've loved the gospel. Not, not to boast, I'm just saying, I think God's doing something here. I think he's been doing it for a long time. And I hope you have eyes to see it. I hope you have eyes to see that the Spirit of God is at work. There's people here that have come to know God through this. I have grown, I know so many of you have grown and been ministered to by God's Spirit. Being a part of this family, I hope you see God's love for you through your pastors here. I hope you see that whenever you hear them saying things that you don't like. And we're going to look at that in a moment here, but that, that is a sign that they love you more than they love your approval. So let's, let's just look at the flip side of this for another couple minutes. What's an unhealthy ministry marked by? Because we see the Galatian church, they make a transition, don't they? There seems to be something healthy, and then they start veering. Something changes, an illness overtakes them, if you will. Well, I think, first and foremost, it's the purpose of this whole entire letter. They've strayed from the gospel of grace. That's why he wrote the letter. So I, I've already touched on this, so I'm not going to go far here, but I want to turn this around to you personally, because this is where this tends to, to get us, both in how we think of ourselves and then how we judge one another. Okay, that's a good indication for how 
How we can tell, we can diagnose, is there something unhealthy in us? So here's some, just some questions to, to consider. What do you do? What do you feel? What's your response when you sin? When you fall short? What is it? If you're like me, most of the time, I just distance myself from God. I don't even know if I know why. But I know that I'm missing something about the gospel in that. Because whenever we fall short, whenever we are angry with our children, whenever we have unbelief, whenever we have all, all any manner of idolatry and sin in our hearts, a lack of love for God, the question is not, are you perfect? Duh, you're not. Not even a, like ever, like there's probably not a minute of your life that you're perfect. The question is, in those moments, is there an instinct? Is there a, a faith, a flicker of faith in those moments that, is, that sees, that remembers the crucified king? That remembers Jesus and what he accomplished? Because God loves you as though you were as righteous, no, as though you were Jesus. As though you had his righteousness exactly, that's how God loves you. And that's how we should respond when we fall short. Have we abandoned that? Or, it's what is so easy to do, is we see other people falling short. And it just annoys us. They just don't get it. You're applying a law as a Pharisee to those. You're applying a law that you yourself do not meet the standard to. Or, whenever a day is good, like maybe you actually read your Bible this morning, you prayed, I don't know, you did whatever random standard you set up in your mind that makes you righteous, and you just feel kind of good, like, you know what, I'm ready for church today, I'm ready to come and I get to sing to God. See, that's my thing, I'm like, okay, I feel like I kind of can sing in, in a clean conscience today. Not because he's cleaned my conscience, right? Because I feel like I've done a little bit, of, just, just good enough. This is a, maybe, maybe God does like 90% of the righteous stuff, and I just get to like, at least get like one thing good. And that one thing soils it all, you see? There's nothing we can bring to God except for absolute perfection. And that's what he's offered us in Christ Jesus. Perfection. Have you strayed from this truth? Because if you have, you'll have a hard time loving one another. You have a hard time just like loving yourself. And loving your family. Because we're all just kind of mess ups. And we're all kind of annoying. Like we, all of us are, a little bit. And it's not just annoying, like we're actually evil. Like we do evil things all the time. Selfish things. That's just who we are. We're humans and we do sinful things. We do selfish things. Idolatrous things. Things that crucified Christ. Things which earn hell forever. All the time. And yet we stand here totally washed. Have strayed from that. Because what else do you have better than that? I've yet to hear a philosophy or any worldview more awesome than that. I've yet to hear it. One that has compelled me. Nothing has compelled me like this truth that God requires flawlessness. Because that meets this desire that, like... Evil people can't just go unpunished. Like, that bothers our sense of justice. 
Like, killers cannot just walk free. That annoys something in our soul, right? But also, redemption stories. Seeing forgiveness and grace, it speaks to something deep inside of us. It's the story we were born to, to, to know and to love. So have we strayed from the gospel? The second thing we see in a church who flatters, or excuse me, a church that's unhealthy is people who flatter. People, teachers especially, who will say what feels good. They don't really want to offend. They don't want to necessarily rustle any feathers. The Bible calls these people false teachers or false prophets. Now, here's the thing. Sure, there are actual popular false prophets in our day. And we could, yeah, I could call out like Joel Osteen or these people who are not preaching the gospel as false prophets. And, and maybe, maybe those are um, temptations for you, but I don't think most of you are just sort of falling for false prophets that way. I think what we're doing is we're finding philosophies that tickle our ears. Things that the world or whoever, whatever philosophers or thinkers or teachers or cultural uh, influencers or just cult the culture at large, how it views what is true. And, and so those things become a false teacher to us to a degree. They say something that makes us feel better about the world or makes us feel better about God. And really that make us feel better about ourselves. I think that's why churches like whatever church you're listening has has like 30,000 people in it. Because it feels good and people want to feel good. It feels good to be told, you know, you're like, you do you. You're doing great. You're really doing awesome. Just be your authentic self. Like, that feels good. I want to hear that. Except for when my authentic self is crappy. And I don't, I don't want to be like my authentic self. I need some better inauthenticity. Here's what he says about the false preachers in verse 17. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. What, what, so what does that mean? What are they doing? They are flattering. Paul says they're, they're, they're building them up. They're, they're saying what they want to hear, what the, what the church in Galatia wants to hear, so that they would be made much of. It's about themselves. And so this is a classic sign of false teachers. What do they want? Or why are they up there? Why are they teaching? You know, for a lot of people, it's the need to be liked. The need to be approved. Or just needed, wanted, respected, or praised. And this is a temptation that I'm facing every time I step up here. Whether it's from the piano, whether it's up here preaching, these are temptations that are just real, but for all of us. It is a temptation for all of us to, to not speak truth to our brother and sister or to our neighbor. Why? Because we want to be liked. We want to be approved. You see, I don't think that the false teachers that Paul's fighting about, I don't think they were like really bad guys. 
I just don't. I don't think they were, like, that they knew they were false teachers. I don't think they were trying to, like, bring them down to hell or, like, deceive them. I think that they're just like you and me. They just want to be loved. They want to be accepted and approved. And, and, and you know, those things in and of themselves are not wrong. We all need to be accepted and loved and approved. You see, they wanted those things more than they wanted God, more than they wanted the truth. It was to the shutting out of the Galatian church, the cutting off from the gospel that they were willing to seek their own approval, to be liked, to say things that they wanted to hear. And so what a warning. If you're a teacher, or any, any time you're interacting with anyone, whenever we hold back from speaking truth in love, absolutely, we can't be heavy-handed. Paul here is writing with tears, and so must we. But whenever we avoid saying what's true, we say what sounds good, or whenever you hear teachers saying that, it's unhealthy. And I think it's a mark of idolatry and perhaps false teachers. So, in closing, what do we do? What, how do we respond to, to what Paul's saying? I mean, we've gone over a couple things, but as I've encouraged you so far, let's examine ourselves as a church, see where there may be an ailment that needs to be brought to the cross of Christ. Is there anywhere that our church has strayed Is there any way that you have strayed? If so, let me say, forgiveness is never a closed door from God. Always available. Every day. Second, I just want to ask, are we, we've talked about speaking truth, but are we speaking truth in love? Like, are we loving people the way we speak to our neighbors, our families? Maybe our mission communities. Are you loving your pastors as you speak to them? Or are you always just sort of like complaining about something that they're doing or saying? You see, love, we're all ministers. We're all to minister and love one another. Or maybe are you just like, are you just taking and taking and you don't give anything? You're sort of like the guy in Galatia who was just sitting back and watching, receiving all the good news, but you weren't going to like gouge your eye out to give to Paul or anything. You had a lot going on your plate. I want you to be someone that understands the blessedness and the joy of giving, even when it's hard. And one of the main ways that we give, honestly, is encouraging, is being encouraging to people, telling people you love them, telling people you're praying for them, asking people regularly, how can I help you? How can I serve you? Can I bring you a meal this week? Are you really tired because your baby wakes up like four times a night? Yes, we are. <laughs> Be encouraging. Sometimes we have to use words of rebuke. Use them. Use those words when we have to. But be careful that there's not judgment in your heart. Particularly I think this just encourages us to be aware of who's sitting around us, like who's dealing with illness, hardship of any sort. Let's be a people who are meeting one another's needs. And then I just want you to be aware also, um, who are the people that are saying things to you in love that you don't necessarily want to hear? 
Maybe not perfectly, but I know that Kevin has said some things to me that I did not want to hear before, and he was right. And even if he wasn't right, I know that that's hard to do. It's really hard to say something that somebody doesn't want to hear. And I know that, that him and, and the other pastors too have said things to me many times that I, didn't want, I just didn't want to hear it at the time. So look for those moments and say, thank you, God, for loving me through your servants, for loving me enough. Thank you, thank your pastors for loving you in those ways. So it, it, the last thing I just want to say is I just want to um, give a little insight into what it's like to be a pastor because it's really similar to what Paul's going through here. Um, and I just want to clarify, I'm not uh, one of the pastors or elders at Chorus. Um, I've been fortunate to be a part of doing ministry at our church for a long time. And I've, you know, I've been really close with, with uh, you know, all five of the pastors. And let me just say, like, it's really hard. You know, when, when Paul here is talking about in, in, in verse 19, he talks about he's in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's what it feels like sometimes. There's so many people that our pastors love and pray for and care about. And so, you, you know how often, like, people walk away so often. I mean, even over the last year, many have walked away. Or how many people have said mean things or hurtful things or have tried to tear down our church. I know that it hurts really bad, and so I know they're not here, and I hope they hear this, but like, thank you. Thank you. I know it's hard, and I hope that you understand it's hard. And as you grow in maturity, and as you become a more faithful minister, loving your neighbors, and as you serve, you'll find that there's anguish. There's anguish in being a minister to your children as they grow, as they go through foolishness. There's, there's um, anguish in being a husband or a wife. There's anguish in just being really like loving people and ministering. There's anguish in, in ministering to your neighbors. There are failure after failure of ministry, and often God weakens those who are his servants, that he allows suffering that they may learn to trust in him. Sometimes being a leader feels like getting your heart ripped out. And that's what we're called to. But you know what? It's also blessedness, isn't it? This is what Paul's drawing their mind back to. He said, remember what happened to your blessedness. In other words, what happened to the spirit-filled joy that was, that was among you? And there have been moments like that, and there are. To be in ministry, to be a, a pastor is a blessed thing. And so I guess as, 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 I, as I close today, let me just... Let me encourage you first to be, to be in love with God, to cultivate that, to be in love with what Christ has done. And, and it's okay, like if that's not in your heart, if you're just like not captivated by it, my guess is because you've just been looking at other stuff for a long time. You know, and I just, I confess, I don't open this thing enough. I don't look enough. I just find other things more interesting too often. And it just, man, it just deadens our hearts. It makes it so hard to see beauty and to experience genuine joy. So let me encourage you. Again, this is like your standard um, application that everyone says, like, open your Bibles. But, but God's there. His words are there. The gospel is there. 
hear from him, be a people who open the word and hear from God, who love the truth. Let's, by God's grace, be the type of church that's filled with his spirit, that loves one another, and let's always be the kind of people willing to gouge out our eyes for one another. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for the way that you have um, spoken to us through your, through your prophet. Uh, God, I thank you for the ways that you have been with us. Not today, the ways that you, not just today, but for, for many years, but also, God, the way that you've loved us before the foundation of the earth. Lord, I thank you that we have, uh, by your grace, I believe, been in a place where we get to hear the gospel preached day in and day out, where we sing the gospel, where we, where we cherish it, where we magnify it, God. And ultimately, that's thanks to you, because you have given us a heart for that, Lord. You have done that work in us. And God, I pray that you would keep us right there, and that where we've strayed, you would bring us back to King Jesus, our righteousness, our eternal life. In his name we pray. Amen.